0: Lori Hybe, Chris Harrington, and Aaron Courtney, three broads, bringing you stories and strategies exploring manufacturing topics that challenge the status quo while laying the foundations for future success. Together with special guests, they'll celebrate what's working and unpack what is not, so you can learn, grow, and succeed. If you want to learn more about your host, make sure to listen to episode one.
1: Potato Corcoran. I hope I said that right. Was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area and spent the first decade of her professional career in the Silicon Valley. At the beginning of the um, COVID nineteen pandemic, she started flipping homes and building a portfolio of rental units in Milwaukee. In 2022, she acquired Brandt Molded. Uh, Molded. I'm sorry, Brandt Molded Marble, a sleepy manufacturing business on its way to extinction. Tato has spent the past year plus transforming that business into one worth owning. Tato, welcome to the show. We got to hear more about this. Yeah. Hi. Thank
2: you, guys. I'm so excited. I really appreciate it.
1: So Silicon Valley to... Milwaukee. I mean, there's a story there, right?
2: <laughs> there is. Sure. Yes. So my dad was born and raised outside of Milwaukee uh, in the suburbs. And, but he uh, went to college in San Francisco, loved the fact that it didn't snow there and never left. And hmm. so he fast forward uh, had my sister and I, and uh, we were born and raised outside of San Francisco. But as we grew up, my sister decided to go to U- to UW Madison Um, and be a badger where she met her now husband and in a nutshell when they graduated he got a job uh, in the Milwaukee suburbs and so they kind of planted their seeds here so my dad sort of did a a 360 which he's a little less than thrilled about but um, (laughs) they were they got married before COVID and then they were having their first baby the two days or two days before the COVID shutdown so what (laughs) I thought was supposed to be like a week off from uh, my job at Salesforce ended up, you know, I was, I was here the baby, and the next thing you know, we're all shut down and I had, I never went back to work again. Um, in fact, all my, again, it was like social education. So all my stuff was there. Like I didn't even have a chance to clear anything out. And that started the kind of evolution into me being uh, the entrepreneur that I am today. I've always been super entrepreneurial and hopefully I'm not fast-forwarding the story, but I always knew that I would go work for myself. I had no idea in what capacity or what that was going to look like. Um, But because I never went back to the office, it kind of turbo-speeded, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my side hustle that became now my main hustle. So I was the absolute poster child for why ambitious millennials should never be allowed to work from home because I basically (laughs) said, get my ass off until... (laughs) Until I left. So, um, yeah, so that's in a very tiny nutshell.
3: (laughs) Well, I think that it is a great reason for ambitious millennials not to go back to the office. Because yeah. we're all big fans of entrepreneurs here at uh, at the broadcast, Woo-woo. so I, I have to, you know, I did my my research and I came across this phrase and I was like, oh my god, I have to pick her brain because you are very good at something that I suck at, <laughs> that is putting things in order. You love doing that, okay. and here I want to read this this quote. So great, this is from you. I love to take a ball of chaos. And put order to it. Mm. Wow, I mm-hmm. that scares the ever-loving hell out of me. So, since I got you here, tell me what what's the first step? Like when you're just like, oh, hello, ball of chaos. Um, <laughs> what's the
2: first thing you do with the ball? Well, yeah. So it's funny. Um, I do remember writing that. That's on my <laughs> website, and it and it is true. Um, historically all of my chaos has stemmed from uh executive leadership in corporate america so i was a sales force mm-hmm. for almost 10 years if you guys are familiar mm-hmm. um before i quit and i was an executive assistant to uh multiple uh leaders within the office of the ceo so obviously really big seventy thousand person fortune you know 100 or whatever company um and i was always like the closest layer to the sun and so that was my everyday life like it was always a shitstorm, And it was, you had to, you know, always look good, have a smile and have an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that became second nature to me is just, well, you know, I have the answer, not sure what it is. I'm going to find it and I'm going to look, you know, like I'm not stressed at all, uh, doing it.
3: So first uh, that- step is smile.
2: I'm. I'm hearing that the first thing you do is smile.
3: Okay, got it. So
2: I'm a. I'm a huge advocate, and to this day, what I was getting at was that that is a totally different chaos from the chaos I live today. And in fact, um, I hadn't bought my business yet when I, uh, or my current business rather, when I wrote that quote, and so now that means a completely different thing to me. Um, But I was in corporate America, and today am a massive resource finder um Mm -hmm. I was just talking about this at lunch and it's not meant to be like self you know degrading or whatever but I am a sociology major no offense to sociology majors total joke like I don't know why I even bothered to go to college basically acquired no skills at college I don't have quantifiable hard skills necessarily but I am as resourceful as they come as fearless as they come and I'm a people person. And so I have been successful by, um, you know, not in a fake way, but r- genuinely making relationships with mm-hmm. every single person that I come across because everyone is smart in some way. And mm-hmm. um, you never know, you know, kind of what value that relationship can bring you at the time or down the road. And so I w- had a huge network um, kind of through, you know, my corporate America times. And that was, that was step one of like the ball of chaos. It's like, Uh okay, what are, here are all the problems and here I can think of one person per problem Uh where I know I can at least start. Uh And while that's that's, chaos is totally different, it has absolutely run true as I've now stepped into first, I was in real estate and I still am a little bit, but way less full time. Now I'm in manufacturing and that has, that has remained true. I mean, I had no idea about, anything when I bought my company I still mostly don't um but I sure as heck know a lot of amazing people who are so insanely smart in this space and I lean on them for pretty much everything
4: yeah it reminds me of the quote it's not what you know but who you know you know (laughs) certainly we've heard that and
2: yeah and I think that sometimes that can get misconstrued as very like um, usey, you know, like yeah. oh, you just use everybody, and it's it's really not that. Like I adore every person who, you know, I keep close to me in my network, and um, I bring value to them in some way or another too. Like it's always a two way street. It's just that, you know, I- I'm not going to go become an expert on you know process flow in a, you know a manufacturing space if this particular person who I know who you know, I really trust is an expert at it. And that's been his full-time job for 10 years. You know, I'm just not going to be foolish enough to go try to learn that myself.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
1: makes sense. I I'm in, in the introduction that you, um, that I read for you that you shared, thank you so much. Um, you say a sleepy manufacturing business. Can you talk about that a
2: little bit? Yeah, for sure. So we can expound on this if you want. But in a super nutshell, when um, COVID started uh, and I was here in Milwaukee and I was still kind of going back and forth between Milwaukee and California. I still had, um, you know, my friends there and and whatnot. But um, I was like, okay, now's the time. You know, what is it that I want to kind of, um, you know, pursue? And it dawned on me one day that I could buy a house here, which you really can't do in California when you're 26. Um, so I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll make it an Airbnb. Um, and so I bought my first house and that led to an absolute real estate obsession, like rabbit holes, like no other, um, I've devoured every piece of real estate content I can find on the internet and I, to this day still love it. Um, but I ended up flipping wholesaling, buying, blah, blah, blah. I've probably done at least a couple dozen real estate transactions and have a, portfolio now that I've kept, um, but then it felt like the next natural step that I actually saw some of my peers pursuing um, was to buy a small business, and I'm sure you ladies are intimately familiar uh, with the statistic about baby boomers retiring. It's like a daily rate of mm-hmm. 10,000 or something like that, mm-hmm. And yep. but essentially, no one has an exit plan. I mean, it's just what it is.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, kids don't want to take over their parents' business. And I have found in my short time that nearly every business, no matter what you try to tell me, is not saleable. So I had some peers pursuing the acquisition of these businesses for, you know, very low dollars. And I thought, wow, you know, I I could do that. That's, you basically have to, you know, be (laughs) scrappy, resourceful and organized, right? Um, Kind of a theme. I'm like, I can do that. So I looked at everything, like everything under the sun I looked at. I talked to a million and 17,000 small business owners just to get a feel for what interested me. And I ended up, I originally found this business um, near the middle of my search. And it, it was broker listed. and it, it is not forever, though. And he wanted way too much. I mean, it was just he had no interest. And I said to the broker, oh, gosh, you know, I I don't know anything about manufacturing, so I, I can't even consider that. I'm sorry. Um, you know, but thank you. And then sure enough, a month or so went by and he called me and he was like, hey, the owner is about 14 days from disclosing a store and liquidating. So if you have any interest at all, um, you know, you should come take a look. So turns out that he had owned. he had, Well, he had owner operated the business for 35 years. So very, very, very well established. He is, is slash was absolutely an expert in this particular space. He is, like, chemically speaking, an expert on molded marble. Um, and was very active in the business. And he, you know, had undulations over the years. Uh, you know, he, he was huge at one time and then um, really scaled back. And by the time that he was trying to sell, he was running a skeleton crew. I mean, he had two – he had three full-time employees. One was headed back to college, so really two and um, himself. And he was just the epitome of like, they had their 12 customers who were super loyal to them and vice versa. He knew exactly what top line he needed to put X dollars in his pocket and only need two people and only work 40 hours. And that was it, like he had it down to a science. And so it was sleepy in that he, I mean, it was just not, it was not growing. It was, it was just there, you know, mm-hmm. it just yep. existed. Mm-hmm. To serve his life purpose and not that that's a bad thing. That's totally fine. In my opinion, that's not a business. It's just basically a job. Um, But it was in the construction and renovation space that pretty much everywhere in the United States is, is, you know, still a a great space, but particularly here in the Midwest, you know, especially fueled by COVID and um, the fleeing of the coast is just roaring here and so i thought all right i'm definitely gonna do a second look into this business and then um it it became apparent that he owned the 10,000 square foot manufacturing space and it wasn't just renting it from someone else so then it was very obvious to me that i could just basically offer him the value of the land and um and take everything else and um even though it was risky as heck because i had no idea what i was doing i knew that absolute worst case if i you know, burnt the business to the ground. I had a great building and could rent it or whatever. And, you know, was in real estate, which was <laughs> what a cool my space and I was comfortable wow. with.
1: Yeah. So anyway. Wow. So cool. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I, I would say, uh, you know, for people listening, it's actually a really fun kind of story uh, when people dream about taking on new businesses, but they're, they're risk averse or they're not really willing to jump into it. That fierceness that you talked about earlier really comes into play here. I'm curious, um, obviously, y- you see potential in this business. How are you setting up, uh, you know, brand um, molded marble to to really find success as you move forward now that you
2: have it? So that is a very Involved question, so I will try to be succinct. Succinctness isn't really a strong suit in my in case you're not gathering that. But um, so uh, th- his existing customer base, again, which relatively speaking was quite small, uh, was really strong. Um, he serviced all of the main um, entry level spec, single family residential builders in the area. So again, while his top line dollars were very underwhelming I knew that his customers were super sticky. Like they weren't going anywhere. They dominate the spec space here, um, which again is a really hot space. So I was like, okay, that's positive. Um, He had zero commercial um, customers. And so he was not doing anything in the apartment space, anything in the condo space, anything in the senior living space. Huge, huge, huge opportunity. The amount of multifamily going up across the greater Milwaukee and Madison areas is virtually insatiable. And that's, you know, not even counting the greater Chicago area, which is only mm-hmm. just over an hour, uh, super, you know, super achievable market. Right. Mm-hmm. So massive, massive opportunity there. Um, he also worked with like two general contractors, two renovators. Okay. There's a bajillion and 17,000, you know, renovation contractors again within the greater Milwaukee Madison areas, um, who, are a perfect fit for the product and vice versa. So massive opportunity there. So it was just a matter of, there were a lot of layers to me taking this thing from something that was nothing to something. It, the first six months were sheer survival. Um, I have never walked into something so blind and underprepared in my entire life. Um, and I have no regrets at all. It's a blast now, but last June to December were like dark times. Um, I'm always super candid about this whenever I can be for people who are considering starting or acquiring a business that, um, you know, unless you're buying something really well oiled for, you know, minimum $3 million ish, maybe even more there, there's some reason why you're getting a good deal. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a good deal. So it's a good purchase, but, um, uh, operationally I just, I had a ton to do. First of all, I had to learn the product inside and out. Right. I literally had no idea what manufactured stone was before April of last year. So I had to completely self-educate. Um, you know, I had to lean on my staff. I leaned on the owner who I bought from and, you know, anybody in the industry who would give me their time, and then I had to figure out, okay, what does our pricing make any sense, right? Like, did, I'm losing money. So, w- what's happening here? Keep in mind, it was a massive supply chain crunch. So, we'll just throw that in. Mm-hmm. Um, my raw material cost went up 75 percent, pretty much the day of closing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, wow. we were we were already underpriced by at least five years, and then you throw that in the mix. It was such a mess. So I had to, but I couldn't just go to all my customers and say, hey, I'm new. I know absolutely nothing. You don't trust me at all. And also your prices went up 40%. So, you know, you have to, again, with the ball of chaos, you have to take like, what are all the problems and, and what are the most important problems and what is, what are the biggest things I have to do, you know, before I can knock the, the rest down. And so it was product education for sure. And then also customer trust. I had to become the best friend of each of my 12 customers and not just get them to like me as a person, which is. I would like to think, you know, pretty easy, but really trust that I could execute on the day-to-day the, the day day such that if they didn't know the owner ownership transfer, they, they would have no idea or wouldn't think to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I made that my first and foremost priority. And then from there, I figured out, okay, you know, I'm running around. I was probably in the car six hours a day, at least running between job sites because I was so understaffed.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: no idea how the former owner did what he did I mean we were just so understaffed so then so then I'm in a place of zero strategy right so then I was okay how do I delegate what I can so that I am at a desk and not in a car and figuring out you know things such as pricing things such as who are you know new and better customers etc so the kind of path to quote-unquote success now was was really varied and it was just a matter of triaging chaos Um, Mm -hmm. and I say quote-unquote success today because a success marker for me is that I have so I tripled our staff and they're all amazing I adore them and I'm making money that's fantastic but I personally consider myself still kind of at the starting line because all I've done is went from survival to um, you know thumbs up and now I'm entering into that next phase of like, okay, let's flourish. Like I have, I have a vision. I have so much I want to do. And so I'm just at like that starting line. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. congratulations. Yeah. On getting to where you are. Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. I you. love it. I think, I think, yeah, you know, it's, it's such a good story because of, and I like the you sleepy because it seems like it was strong. It was just kind of a little bit dormant Mm -hmm. and the timing is so great Uh, for example I am going to be entering a major renovation of my home and now I'm excited to look at your product and um,
2: I absolutely you have my number
3: (laughs) I've just become very aware very intimately aware of what that market is doing right now and you know coming back to the the source of our show anybody that listened to you would have no doubt that a woman can take over a manufacturing business and make it flourish. Like it's, yeah. it's you know, the, the, the fundamentals are the same in terms of good business. It's those relationships that you pointed out. It's knowing your product, it's believing in your product and it's, you know, timing, being smart at the right time. So I'm so glad you shared your story with us. I really want a takeaway for a lot of our listeners to be, because, like you said, the the wave is coming of retirement, the silver okay. tsunami, and people are retiring and leaving behind some of those very important manufacturing businesses that are really at the heart and soul, in particular in the Midwest, of our manufacturing industry. And hey, listeners, you, you can do this. I mean, yeah, it's really hard, but listen to the amazing potential out there. And I just... I'm so grateful that you came on today to share your story with us because, um, I want everybody to hear that and to, to take it into consideration, maybe something they could do or somebody that they love can do.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, it, it's funny, the, the whole, a, a woman can take over manufacturing thing is like a whole other episode. We've talked about that. We're ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah and... I mean, it's crazy, but <laughs>
1: Love it. Um, I know we, we've got a tight timeline here, so I just want to quickly do the, I just learned that cause we love this section. So Chris, you got something real quick. What did you just learn recently? Yeah, I just learned. So
4: as you guys know, I'm a huge fan of the U S women's national team and they are, uh, the whole world cup. Uh, we've all been watching New Zealand and Australia. Uh, we don't have to talk about the U S team or the performance here because there's not enough time for that. But, um, They were the first self-governing country, New Zealand was, to give women the right to vote. And that really surprised me. I did not know that. The Um, Kiwis. That's very interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh,
4: you know, they actually couldn't stand to vote. So you couldn't be elected until 1919. But they were actually, what was the year? Did I write it down? I didn't write it down. It was in the 1800s where they actually gave the right to vote, um, you know, and we really didn't have the right in the U.S. for women to vote until 1920. uh, And that was really predominantly the white women vote. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, whole nother episode to get into that. But (laughs) (laughs) I found all of that very interesting in New Zealand. Erin, what about you? What have you just learned?
3: Well, i recently we saw the barbie movie and oh i everybody has to see it it's just a requirement we can discuss it at a different time um but i was like oh, tell, what i need to learn more about barbie and one of the things that i learned when i was doing the research was that the original the maker um her last name is handler forget her first name um she wanted to make a woman-sized doll for little girls because all the dolls up to then had been babies and she just couldn't quite like figure out what it would look like um, and then she was in Germany and there were these little dolls that truckers would put in their car kind of I think like woo sexy lady you know like the hula dancer <laughs> on the bobble thing and she was like that's it That's my prototype. And she brought that back and, you know, the rest is history. We know how successful those dolls have become. So that's what
4: I learned. Thank you, Barbie. I never, I never owned a Barbie. What? So now you have (laughs) a now you have a new fact <laughs> now you just it's not out. too late chris <laughs> not there's too late. no right. reason
3: yeah. you shouldn't receive a barbie in the mail someday. <laughs> that's awesome because i know they've got right. sports barbies <laughs>
4: <laughs> maybe that would be the one that would be interesting basketball
3: player barbie
4: <laughs> maybe
3: soccer hey, barbie that
1: would work yes
3: all right all right Lori, what you got for
1: us um AI, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> every no. single time. Um, no, I've been, I, you all know, I've been studying this like crazy, um, but there's, you'd be surprised and you might not even realize this, but sometimes if you're suing, doing some sort of messaging with like a chat um, on someone's website or a Facebook messenger or Instagram messenger, whatever, um, AI is actually doing a lot of that nowadays. Um, I mean, it, it takes a little legwork to get it set up the right way, but more and more companies are leaning into this. And and I'm just going to keep preaching AI because if companies are not mm-hmm. paying attention to it, mm-hmm. they're going to be yes. um, falling away into extinction <laughs> slower, mm-hmm. um, yeah. slowly. So um, mm-hmm. I it's just I feel like every single day I'm learning something new on how someone or a business organization entity is implementing AI into into their practice, and it's just it's cool, and scary at the same time. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. but
1: I I like that your call to
3: action, like get to it. Something I've been trying to work on with my staff is like think of AI first. Like, you have a problem, you're trying to solve something. Could AI do this for me? And getting into that mindset, I think, will help people evolve more. Co- you know intentionally instead of having it just like be thrust upon them mm-hmm. so i think that's really good advice thank yeah. you Mark.
1: awesome uh tata what about you what have you
2: just learned okay so i recently watched the movie burnt with bradley cooper just like as a random rom-com available to me on netflix one night mm. and um I had no idea that the Michelin star restaurant rating system was actually created by the Michelin Tire Company because back in the day, they wanted you to get in your car and drive around to all of these quote unquote Michelin rated um, restaurants so that then you needed new tires more quickly. Oh, (laughs)
1: that's so fun. I love that.
2: I do too. (laughs)
4: That's
3: That's that's such see that's that kind of clever marketing i don't think i could do that right because you're drawing these connections that have never been right like that is that's awesome (laughs) it's like so fancy right (laughs) Mission (laughs) star
1: that's great i love it so um tato if anyone was interested in getting in touch with you what's the best way that they can reach you
2: yeah, absolutely. My personal email is on uh, tatocorcoran.com, which seems way fancier than it is. I'm completely not famous. I'm very approachable, but I just have very unique names So the URL that was available for $5. So go to my website and find my contact info and shoot me a note or LinkedIn. Awesome. I'm very findable. Nobody has my name.
1: <laughs> we will include all of that information in our show notes. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us.
2: Thanks, you guys. Thank
1: Talk you. To you Thank Thanks. you. Bye. Yeah, awesome. Bye. All right. This wraps up our episode. Please reach out and we appreciate all of you.
0: This wraps up today's broadcast. If you're looking to shake up the status quo at your organization or just want to connect with these broads, visit mfgbroadcast.com. Contact Lori Hybe for your strategic digital marketing initiatives. Contact Chris Harrington for OEM and aftermarket digital solutions. And contact Aaron Courtney for web-based solutions for your complex business problems. We've got a great offer specifically for our listeners. You can find more information about the offers and your hosts at mfgbroadcast.com.